As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. About hosting a show on the best station in the nation or call our CEO for details. 281-599-9800. KCAA Loma Linda, 10.50 a.m., 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. Executive orders, Beirut protests. I'm Ann Cates. President Trump says he has come up with his own version of coronavirus relief, providing a payroll tax holiday, protecting people from eviction, adding expanded unemployment benefits, and helping Americans with student loans. The president says he had to take action after the Democrats didn't. In the current negotiations, we have repeatedly stated our willingness to immediately sign legislation, providing expanded unemployment benefits, protecting Americans from eviction, and providing a additional relief payments to families. Democrats have refused these offers. They want to negotiate. What they really want is bailout money for states that are run by Democrat governors and mayors. There are close to 5 million confirmed COVID-19 cases in the U.S. Demonstrations are underway in Beirut after a massive explosion killed more than 150 people with dozens missing. Correspondent Ben Wedeman is there. According to the Lebanese Red Cross, at least 100 protesters uh, have been injured. We saw many of those injured, uh, some from... Uh, tear gas inhalation. Others seem to have been hit by uh, rubber bullets. There is a report on some of the local Lebanese media uh, that one member of the riot police has been killed. The latest court development in the death of George Floyd. A Minnesota judge has ordered the release of body camera footage recorded by former officers charged in the death of George Floyd. Judge Peter Cahill ruled that videos taken on the night Floyd was killed will be made publicly available. But it's unclear how or when the footage will be released. The videos were filed with the court last month by one of the former officer's attorneys. Initially, only transcripts of the audio were released, but a judge later allowed people to view the footage by appointment. A British tabloid on Monday published parts of the videos. I'm Marlis Majerus. I'm Ann Cates. This is KCAA. This segment brought to you by a really special story. Once upon a time, in a TV land far, far away, people used to perch 
clothesline-looking TV antennas on their roofs. Sometimes they used tinfoil, too. All was good, and the rest was free. People crowded around their TV sets, listening to the chimes and watching the peacocks. Then one day, video killed the radio star, and TV cable was born. And everyone started watching cable TV, but it wasn't free. In fact, it was expensive. Then one day, the FCC said all TV would be digital, and it would be free again over the air. 2, 2.1, 2.2, and on and on. You can call 909-475-7787. That's 909-475-7787. Or you can log on to SoCalFreeTV.com. That's SoCalFreeTV.com. Open for takeout and delivery, El Tapioc Mexican Food Restaurant in the Tri-City Center of Redlands is back. Their entire family is on hand to serve up their delicious burritos, machaca, chorizo, huevos rancheros, steak and eggs, just part of their mouth-watering great food. Since 1531, people have marveled at the miracle of El Tapioc, and now you can marvel at the great food the Lugo family has been serving up for over two decades. Nestled quietly in the corner of the Tri-City Center shopping mall next to Burlington Coat Factory. Support them. They can't wait to serve you some of their delectable, authentic, south-of-the-border Mexican fare at great prices, served up with love. Support the area's best-loved Mexican food restaurant in these tough times. Order up a tasty meal on the phone for delivery or takeout, for breakfast, lunch, or dinner from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Call 909-307-0017. That's 909 909- 307-0017 or Google El Tapioc Redlands and treat yourself. KCAA Radio has openings for one-hour talk shows. If you want to host a radio show, now is the time. Make KCAA your flagship station. Our rates are affordable and our services are second to none. We broadcast on three terrestrial frequencies to a population of 5 million people. Plus, we stream and podcast on all major online audio and video systems. If you've been thinking about broadcasting a weekly radio program on real radio plus the Internet, contact our CEO at 281 9-9-9-800-281-599-9800. You can Skype your show from your home to our Redlands, California studio where our live producers and engineers are ready to work with you personally. A radio program on KCAA is the perfect work from home avocation in these stressful times. Just type kcaaradio.com into your browser to learn more about hosting a show on the best station in the nation or call our CEO for details. 281-599-9800. Now, here's a new concept, digital network advertising, where businesses display your ad inside their building. If a picture's worth a thousand words, your company is going to thrive with digital network advertising. Choose your marketing sites or jump on the DNA system and advertise with all participants. Your business ad or logo is rotated multiple times an hour inside local businesses where people will discover your company. Digital Network Advertising, DNA, a novel way to be seen and remembered. Digital Network Advertising with networks in Redlands and Yucaipa. Call in the 909 area, 222-9293 for introductory pricing. That's 909-222-9293 for Digital Network Advertising. One last time, Digital Network Advertising, 909-222-9293. K-C-A.
A. A. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Assalamu alaikum, peace be unto you. My name is Osama Safi, and you're listening to the Voice of Islam radio show, your favorite Muslim talk show. I'm your host, Osama Safi, and I'm joined with my co-host, Armagan Jadala. Assalamu alaikum, Armagan. Wa alaikum salam, Osama, and dear listeners, peace be unto you. The Voice of Islam radio show is brought to you by the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community, which is the oldest organized Muslim community here in the United States. The Ahmadiyya Muslim community has been teaching the true teachings of Islam, which are love for all and hatred for none, for the past 100 years here in the States. Join in on our conversation by dialing 1-888-909-1050. That's 1-888-909-1050. And of course, uh, you could always join us uh, anytime before or after the show via email by emailing us at voiceofislamradioshow at gmail.com. Osama, how are you doing today? Pretty good, pretty good. You know, I'm uh, visiting my parents again out here in lovely Santa Maria, the central coast of California, and uh, just uh, picking up some new hobbies during COVID. Started playing badminton with my brothers and stuff, and so uh, I realized I'm uh, not too bad at it. It's my secret skill, (laughs) but not too much else going on. How about you? Yeah, you know, just um, uh, living life. I guess it's. I feel like we finally have gotten a few weekends of relative quiet, where nothing, yeah. you know, too crazy or extreme is going on. Of course, there still are, you know, uh, impending uh-huh. issues in the world. Um, of course, there was that insane explosion that happened in Beirut. Yeah. Um, I don't know when it happened. I think it happened last week, and I've seen some of the videos on social media, and it's just mind blowing. Uh, no yeah. pun intended. Um, uh, you know, the, the immensity of that explosion. So, um, but other than that, you know, we, we're still here in the heat of the California sun, um, living day by day. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. That explosion really was something. I mean, it's just kind of like this whole year has been such a humbling experience and, um, you know, COVID has really kind of humbled us. And then just seeing news like that, where in an instant, Right. People's lives just changed without anything of their own. Right. And it's just it's really scary. And it's um, it's frightening. Definitely. It's it's frightening and humbling because that could be that could happen to any of us. We don't know if an explosion is just going to randomly happen. I mean, we hope not. But I'm believing that's probably the same thing those people thought as they were just living their daily lives. That's that's right. The I know the initial reports are coming out and it's a firework factory and there's all this. He said, she said. Um, of why there was a bunch of ammonium nitrate stored in the warehouse. Um, I'm hoping and praying that it wasn't an act of war or it wasn't a terror attack. Um, you know, as bad as it is, you know, what's done is done. I'm hoping it was, you know, simply just kind of a freak accident. Um, yeah. Hopefully it doesn't lead to anything more crazy. But uh, definitely our, our, our thoughts and prayers are with all mm-hmm. the folks that are affected. I know, you know, there's plenty of people that have lost their lives, a lot of injured as well. Um, and so uh, we hope and pray that you know those folks are able to find solace in this uh, definite trying time. Yeah, and I really feel like you know it's it's times like these when people think about the idea, you know, they think really from the divine perspective, and they think about well, 
how much of this is God's punishment for what, you know, we may be doing and how much of this is just natural events. And not that we'll directly hit that topic in that context specifically, but today's show is about the Islamic concepts of punishment and forgiveness, um, something that people probably don't think much about. We know a lot of the Christian and Judeo thoughts upon punishment and and forgiveness, and it'll be interesting to see it from the Islamic perspective, uh, just because folks will kind of see how there's similarities and how there's differences. Um, we have an interesting ghost uh, uh, host uh, guest lined up. Interesting for that. ghost. Yeah, an interesting ghost. He's coming back from the dead just to talk to us. No, yeah, we have a very interesting guest um, slated to join us. Um, Imam Joya, who is, uh, who, um, um, if you're a frequent listener, you, you, you know, his voice and uh, obviously mm-hmm. you, you know, the wisdom that he brings, uh, we're, we're definitely looking forward to, to hearing from him. And, um, we actually, uh, it looks like we do have Imam Joya on the line. So I actually will welcome I- Imam Mathila Joya. Assalamu alaikum, Imam. So peace be on to you. Welcome to the show. Waalaikumsalam. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here with you guys and, Thanks for calling the ghost before my intro, but that's my fault. You're just like a ninja, you know. You come in, you don't even realize it, and then you're gone, and you just leave us with all sorts of wisdom, which I'm assuming is what ghosts normally do. You know, I haven't met any, so that's just my assumption. But um, again, thank you again for coming on. So for today, we're going to be talking about punishment and forgiveness, and. In the past, I worked as a prosecutor, and the idea of punishment for me was always something that I thought was really important because I always saw punishment as something that I was doing to help make people better, right? We punish defendants and put them in jail, and what I told myself is that by doing this, sometimes that type of punishment makes a person better. So if you could kind of give us an overview from Islam, what's the Islamic idea of punishment from the, the big picture? So, um, you see, there's always two groups of people, like you mentioned. Um, there's always, you'll find a group of people who would always say that punishment is important, it has to be done, and that's the only way to, you know, reform society or get rid of uh, all the God to be able people. At the same time, there may be some other group of people who may say that, you know, hey, forgiveness is, is all what we're all about. And, you know, let's turn the other cheek and and just ignore their offenses. So Islam's um, approach is, you know, is a middle way, is a moderation. So Islam does stand for, um, you know, retribution or recompensing um, the offenses. But at the same time, it also allows forgiveness. Um, so that, you know, and, and there's a verse in the Holy Quran. Uh, in the Holy Quran, by the way, is a Muslim's uh, holy book, revealed book to Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him. Chapter 42, uh, verse 41, God Almighty says, The translation of this verse, and this is a very fundamental uh, verse on which Allah, uh, you know, the whole Sharia is based on. Uh, and that is, uh, and the recompense of an injury or, or of an offense <coughs> is an Injury of Quran or is an injury the like thereof, but whoso forgives and his act brings about reformation, his reward is with Allah. So, um, so reformation is the key here. Um, you know, if there, the reformation of the offender lies in punishment, then that has to be carried, Islam says. 
And if the reformation is it lies in the forgiveness of that person or giving him a second chance, third chance, that should also be carried out, and this is perfectly legal according to Islamic criminology. So, so Imam Joya, in in that same vein, you know, one of the questions that I'm sure a lot of folks have that are trying to become familiar with Islam, um, you know, the it's it's a very common trope to think of the um, you know the the God of Judaism as a God of punishment and the God of Christianity as a, a God of f- forgiveness. Uh, of course, that's a very broad and, 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 and broad-sweeping mm-hmm. statement. But, you know, that As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. That's kind of the general conception, um, especially in pop culture, um, that's been depicted. So, you know, just to kind of live within that same vein, you know, where does the God of Islam, and of course we're, we're talking about the same God, but at least our interpretation of, of Allah, where does that fit in? You know, is, is Allah, you know, more inclined towards uh, punishment to, to keep us on the right path, or is Allah more inclined towards um, being forgiving? So there are two aspects to it, um, Uh First of all, it's our offenses which we commit against other human beings. Um, how that should be, um, you know, tackled or ruled. The other is our offenses against God the Almighty. Um, so these are two different subjects which I think uh, need to be pointed out. When it comes to it comes to our offenses against Allah the Almighty, you know, if we are rebellious or we are blasphemous against God the Almighty, um, Quran uh, repeatedly says that His mercy uh, overcomes everything that exists over all of His creation. So His mercy and forgiveness is what um, what overtakes everything. But, you know, when it comes to um, uh, the offenses that are committed against humanity, against someone's property is, for example, taken, or someone's life is, is taken, or um, or any sort of offense that we know it in a judicial, um, you know, point of view, that has to be recompensed, that has to be, you know, accounted for. Um, the reason for that is, you see, you may have heard a lot of talk about humanism, that how humanism uh, is a part of the 18th century, and how, you know, the liberalism and socialism and all, you know, the different uh, branches came out of it. But in reality, I believe that, um, you know, Islam brought the real humanism. And it talked about how human life is sacred and how it should be preserved. And uh, Allah the Almighty, um, you know, if you look at the um, the commandments of the Quran and the teachings of Holy Prophet, it's very clear that Allah is willing and, um, you know, is more than happy to forgive us our offenses against Him. But Allah says that if 
you commit an offense against your brother or against another human being, that that person also has to forgive you in order for, for God to forgive. And that's one of the reasons why Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, whenever a Muslim would pass away, would die, um, he would never lead his funeral prayer until and unless all of his debts were taken care of. <clears throat> and in some cases where the person's property was not enough, Holy Prophet would, from his own um, you know, uh, possessions, pay off the loan of that person. Because that is, that's how, to that extent that Holy Prophet went and Islam goes to preserve the rights, the property, and um, you know, the dignity of other human beings as well. So that's uh, in, in principle, um, you know, that's important that we have. But having said that, forgiveness has always uh, prevailed and has always um, overtaken Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, in all his words. So you can see that as well, because if we are made on the image of God the Almighty, um, you see, uh, and by that, it does not mean that uh, God, God forbid, has a physical body. He uh, is basically copying or imitating the attributes of God the Almighty. So if he, his compassion, his mercy, his forgiveness overtakes all other, um, you know, uh, attributes or all other, um, you know, all the creation, then we should also be willing to forgive on a personal level. So these are, you know, two different things. If someone makes an offense against me personally, I should be willing to forgive. But when it comes to ruling and when it comes to, um, you know, the verdict in terms of the judicial branch of Islam, then it safeguards um, the right of the oppressed as well. And it makes sure that the justice is served. So the concept of absolute justice um, is, is always uh, prevalent in, in Islamic verdict and Islamic decisions. I hope I'm not... Um, uh, you know, losing you guys or the audiences, but, you know, that's in a nutshell, that's what, um, that's what it is. No, so that, that's, that's definitely very, very interesting. And so I guess the one question that, let's say, an atheist would probably be inclined to ask is, you know, mm-hmm. why, I mean, if God has created us and God has had, you know, any opportunity to create us however he wanted, um, why does God need to punish us? Why do we need to sin in the first place? Why can't God just eliminate that whole attribute of sin and punishment from our lives and just make us, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, sinless or perfect? You see, there was a social experiment done uh, in the 20th century. And even until most recently, I don't know if you guys see the Minefield uh, program, you know, and so, so they talked, uh, one of the episodes there was how boredom is worse. Um, you know, than than even physical torture, and um, that is, can you imagine a world where you didn't have you didn't have anything to do, and there um, there was no action, there was no deed. It would be it would be a source of punishment to me. You know, if if I didn't have to um, you know do anything, and I was told to just just wander aimlessly. There's no aim, there's no meaning to life, or so to you know. Um, give us purpose in life and also to you know, see our our faith, you know, how strong we are. And that's why God created And the, when it comes to the punishment part, it is important to clarify that uh, God does not like to punish. He, uh, he likes to forgive. He overlooks all our weaknesses. And when calamities, for example such as COVID-19 nowadays or the plague or, you know, or any natural disasters that hit the world. 
um, people are very easy to point out that, oh, these, this is, you know, the divine punishment. That's not the case. It's, uh, you know, divine punishment only comes when a prophet appears and the people directly oppose him and, uh, you know, take every action to destroy that mission. That's when, you know, God's uh, punishment or his, his, his uh, you know, wrath basically comes on the people. But other than that, these are just natural disasters that take place. These are natural, um, you know, calamities that do take place, and uh, they should not be directly linked with God's wrath or punishment. So, um, so you know, um, having said that, like, so why did God, why does God like us to sin, or why is He so, uh, you know, adamant in punishing us? I, I believe that is not the case. I believe He. Um, he is not like that. Even the worst person that you can ever imagine, you know, the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, um, he talks about how even the, like a robber or a person who steals things, you know, he, he, you know, he would have so many good things that he has done in his life or he, he is doing. Just that one thing doesn't make him an evil person. So in reality, I think there's more goodness in the world if you look around. Um, but it's just that because evil is more highlighted and comes into the spotlight, that's why it's, it's sometimes, uh, you know, uh, it seems like that, you know, as if evil has taken over the world or, or something like that. So. But, um, Missionary uh, Joya, you would still think, though, that from what I'm hearing, of course, forgiveness is important. And, of course, you know, there is this idea that it's it's should be overlooked in terms of a person's uh, issues and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the idea of, you know, for example, an eye for an eye, uh, a type of justice, if somebody does someone wrong, if somebody, you know, says, say, murders somebody's family member, and that person can forgive them, but at the same time, that person is not going to um, bring the family member back. You know, that just that deed is done. So, in Islam, is it just that one should just forgive in these circumstances, or is there really, like, a way to kind of prevent something like that from happening again in the future, and also maybe giving a sense of justice for that individual that may have lost someone um, very close to them. So, um, in general, uh, like I said, that uh, on a person's... uh, So, basically, the victim or his family, they have the right to forgive that person, but then um, in return... So, there are two, especially when it comes to the capital punishment or... Or you know, uh, when a life is is jeopardized and is taken, uh, in that scenario, it, it is important that uh, the service, uh, the justice should be served. But if the family of the victim uh, decides that they would prefer blood, with for example, which is a blood money for for the deceased, that is that is another option that could be taken. Um, but uh, like I said, I just want to stress the point that. When life is taken, um, that is something that is not taken lightly by Islamic teachings. Um, that because according to the Quran, according to Islamist philosophy, a life is equivalent or as precious as all of mankind, and it, every effort should be made should be made to preserve it, or at least to make sure that it doesn't recur in the future. So because of that, um, that person should be held responsible and. Measures should be taken to reform the mindset of that individual who has committed the offense. So, um, as an individual, as a victim's family, may forgive, um, you know, the offender, 
but it's the state's job to make sure that um, you know the justice is served, that that person does not go around in the society wandering around and uh, causing an a risk to the other um, you know uh, society members. So that and you know speaking of Sharia, it's it's the most um, I would say misunderstood word. Um, I don't know if you. Would uh, would you plan to talk about Sharia a little bit because that's really burning subject as well? You know, yeah. for no, definitely. For many yeah, yeah. Feel free to people. give us a you know a brief overview for the listeners who have no idea. I mean, we do have done a topic on Sharia before, but of course, always welcome to kind of do a recap or to just you know provide a little oh, more okay. information I, from I, I wasn't aware that. Okay, I, I didn't know that you guys did a Sharia uh, topic. So that's good if you've already covered it. But in general, I mean, it's just. A, Sharia is something that um, is basically an Islamic law or a religious law is the more accurate term. And, um, you know, this basically, uh, there are some misunderstandings that maybe, just briefly I'll remove it. Number one is that, is it for everybody? Uh, we believe that it's not for everybody. It's for um, Muslims who voluntarily take it upon themselves to be judged according to the Sharia law. And Sharia basically means a path, and you know every religion has a Sharia. It's just the way uh, an individual likes to be judged or likes to live in. Uh, it, the choice is given to the individual. It's to blindly um, impose it on countries or on civilians is is is, is far from the truth. Similarly, it is the job of the state or the government to impose Sharia. It is not a job of an individual or a band of members who just, you know, claim to be the guardians or the stewards of the Sharia and they just take the law in their own hand. This is also prohibited. In fact, this is something which is strongly condemned in Islam and, um, you know, fitna or seduction or uh, disorder is worse than killing, the Holy Quran says, al-fitna to ashaddu min al-qatl. So these are some things that um, I thought that I should also bring to your attention. So I guess to to kind of bring this conversation full circle and maybe we should have <clears throat> talked about this in the in the very beginning uh, you know how is i mean what actually is punishment in islam i mean how is punishment defined um is there um a specific type of punishment recommended by islam uh, you know we hear the concept of the punishment of hellfire all the time i mean is that a literal like you know can you help uh, us and the listeners understand what islam means when islam says a punishment and then the second phase of that would be, you know, what types of punishments is Islam inclined towards? So I think punishment is, is a very broad term, right? Like, what does that mean? Are you talking about, uh, you know, the legal matters with the state, you know, with the related to Sharia in this world? Or is it the punishment, like a divine punishment, you know, in, in, in you know, like some people claim as well, or in the hereafter, right? These are different uh, method recompense. Uh, you know, that's uh, basically the concept is that every uh, human um, is responsible and answerable for their actions or their deeds. And one has to make sure that he or she does not offend anyone, either by his or her actions or by her tongue or by any other means. So, um, and if one does that, he has to be uh, ready to for the consequences. 
So um, that's what, you know, the, the, the consequence system, if we, like I mentioned, if we make an offense against uh, other human being or against his property or against his, um, you know, his personal interest, then that that is an offense that has to be uh, rectified and also recompensed in this world by the state or by, you know, um, by the authorities. But if it's, uh, uh, if it's an offense that is taken uh, against God the Almighty, then it is only God who, um, you know, who is uh, the being or the authority who would decide for us on the Day of Judgment. Um, and God being merciful and compassionate and forgiving as he is, uh, you know. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's about the concept of the hereafter, for example. You know, the concept of punishment in the next life. Uh, we, as Amity Muslims, believe that uh, hell is something that, first of all, not necessary that only uh, Muslims will go to heaven and the Christians or non-Muslims would go to hell, God forbid. That is up to uh, God and his prerogative. I am not in that position to decide for people that whether they are saved or not. So that is, uh, you know, and I'm talking about this punishment in the next life. Um, similarly, um, we believe that uh, how, you know the hell is not eternal. It is just uh, uh, playing a role of like a like a hospital, where an individual goes when he is uh, sick, and he is released as soon as he's over it. So that's what uh, uh, you know. That's the part that hell plays in the next life. Um, I, I hope I, is that that's what you're. Expecting to hear from me, or yeah, no. So that, that, that I think that definitely or, you know? that definitely gets us on the right on the on on the correct path. So I guess the second part of that question is, you know, what type of punishments is Islam in, you know inclined to? I mean, we hear all the time about the punishments of stoning. Um, you know, especially you know when compared to Islamic countries, you always hear about old accounts of people getting stoned to death. Um, you know, there's also uh, you know. Other types of punishments, lashings, um, which are all very, I, I guess, medieval or very o- old school type punishments. So, you know, is that Islamically prescribed? Are those, you know, recommended by Islam, or is that something that's more cultural or more, you know, subject to the times that they were administered? So, uh, when it comes to stoning in particular, um, one has to know that whatever is being practiced around the world today 
is not necessarily what the real Islam teaches or what the Holy Prophet practiced. You know, things have changed over time in 1400 years, and uh, people's mindset, their interpretations have changed. So um, Islam is a very uh, broad religion. But when it comes to stoning itself, you should know that there is no mention of stoning in the Holy Quran. So this is something uh, that is more cultural or at that time, um, you know, at the time of the Prophet, there is mention of uh, someone being stoned, but that was a Jewish person who was given verdict based on his or her uh, religious text, which was the Torah. So it is a Torah that describes stoning as a punishment for adultery. So I believe there was one individual who chose by himself voluntarily to be uh, judged according to the you know, Torah law. But aside from that, um, it is important to know that uh, the Sharia, that guidelines that the Holy Prophet has brought, the rulings that were delivered to Holy Prophet, it was delivered to a society which was trained, which was groomed by a person who, the best person or best of creation who ever walked on earth. <clears throat> so Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, trained them personally for decades, for more than a decade, for two decades, decades 23 years he was uh, you know, amongst his community, um, actively preaching, training, admonishing them about what's right and wrong. And as a result, the people uh, had, you know, phenomenal faith in God, and their uh, they were expect their expectations were much higher than other regular people. So that until and unless that kind of society is established on the face of earth. Then we would say that yes, um, you know, these people or the, the those individuals should be judged according to that. But other than that, to just blindly uh, impose it on uh, all societies uh, is not fair. Number two, interpretation is the most important um, point. I would like to highlight. Uh, Holy Quran says there are some people who uh, just to gain their own personal desires or their personal, um, you know, objectives they would rely on the verses of Holy Quran and interpret them according to their own, um, you know, desires. So that is obviously forbidden. Um, and we see that even now, that unfortunately some people uh, interpret it for their own political agendas or their hidden objectives. Um, there are four schools of thought. Um, that also is very important, that uh, which school of thought do you follow? There's Hanafi, Hamli, Malki, and Shafi. And uh, each school of thought or each, um, you know, uh, imam, as they call them, um, have their own interpretations. So if uh, someone, for example, Saudi Arabia, they um, they follow the Ahmadi, uh, you know, fiqh, or the jurisprudence, and that is the most strict and the most uh, um, to the letter and the literal. They take uh, all the commandments literal. And uh, it's, a, it's the smallest uh, school of thought in, in Islamic, um, you know, world. So, um, you know, one, if we want to see something that's happening in Saudi Arabia, not necessarily means that that's what the, you know, that's what the Quran teaches, or that's what, uh, you know, um, the Holy Prophet lived their, his life, right? So many things had, had to be, you know, changed with the passage of time. Um, you know, and with the, you know, with the, with the growing, um, you know, issues that keep on appearing and that are novel and that are new. So 
Um, because of that, uh, one has to be very careful before judging whether, um, you know, uh, Islam, God forbid, is a violent religion or anything like that. It's, it's better to have an independent research and First, very very quickly, just since we're here um, for the audience, what what do <coughs> Ahmadi Muslims fall in? Uh, what school of thought do we fall into? So, um, uh, Ahmadi uh, Muslims, basically, we have, you know are independent in a way. We you know so so uh, there are two schools of thought. Uh, there sorry, there are two uh, main Islamic uh, offshoots. One is Sunnis and one is Shiites. So 90% of the Muslim population is Sunni, 90 to 90, 85. And 10 to 15% is Shiite. So Shiites have their own, you know, um, 12 imams or 11 imams and, and their own fiqh. And the other four schools of thought, these are for the Sunnis, which is the 85 to 90% of Muslim population. And Ahmadis um, not necessarily strictly follow a certain school of thought, but Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, the founder of Ahmadiyya community, is more uh, said that if there's an interpretation um, that needs to be taken, it would be from a Hanafi school of thought. And he was inclined towards Hanafi school of thought. But having said that, um, the promised Messiah, we believe he was um, the divine reformer, uh, you know, sent by God the Almighty as promised by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And his verdicts are, you know, are taken, uh, and and we and his interpretation, of course, is nothing other than what the actual uh, teachings of the Holy Quran and Holy Prophet were. So we, you know, that's um, that's what we take. But we are more inclined towards the Hanafi um, school of thought. Well said. And for those of you that are listening, if you want to join this conversation and be one on one with us, one on one with our missionary. Remember to give us a call at 1-888-909-1050, 1-888-909-1050. So I think we should look at the flip side of this, and that is the flip side of punishment is forgiveness. And what is the concept of forgiveness in Islam? I know as a Muslim, you know, multiple times in a day, if we're ever going to do anything important, we say in the name of God, the most gracious, ever merciful, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Right. And in that, we know the importance of mercy and the importance of grace. So if you could just give us a brief overview for our listeners, what is the importance of forgiveness in Islam? So forgiveness, importance of forgiveness, like I said, on a personal level is very important and is very much appreciated and uh, is something that is almost, you can say, a religious teaching that uh, one has to forgive. But again, this is on a personal level. Uh, if someone has wronged me, uh, I should be broad-hearted and uh, be willing to forgive, just like God forgives so many of my offenses against him. So that concept, um, we see that over and over again in the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Not, in, not only him, but other prophets as well. Um, throughout history, we see that they were compassionate people, a real embodiment of God's attributes, and they were more than willing to forgive, not only to forgive, but also give their own life for the sake of humanity and for their, you know, for their betterment. So, um, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, was an excellent example of forgiveness. And uh, there is no shortage of examples and incidences uh, in his life um, that 
note to the fact that he was the most kind, forgiving, compassionate person ever to walk on the face of earth. So um, his, his forgiveness always ranges from, you know, you know the, you know when he entered Mecca with his companions, or whenever he would have uh, captives. You know, there obviously there were battles, defensive battles fought in the time of the Prophet. But even the people who were after his life, there was a Jewish uh, woman who poisoned, who invited Prophet for for a meal, and uh, she had poisoned the meat. And uh, as soon as the Prophet, peace be upon him, started to eat, luckily another companion who was uh, with Prophet Muhammad, he had swallowed the meat before him, and you know he fainted and he, he eventually passed away, and Prophet found out that meat is poisoned, but even that woman was forgiven. And there are so many other examples, people who had taken lives of, you know, his own uncle, uh, his own relatives, his own daughter was martyred in, in the same barbaric way. And the, culturally speaking, the Arab way of torture, physical torture was, was, uh, was very, very harsh and unbearably, uh, even to describe it, like there are mentions of how uh, feet of an individual would be tied to two different camels being driven away to the two opposite directions, resulting in a person, you know, just being ripping apart in two pieces. That's how, bar- and that's how they behave towards Muslims, early Muslims especially. All those people were forgiven. Uh, you know, uh, Hind was a, a woman who chewed the liver of Prophet Muhammad's uncle, uh, Hamza at the Battle of Oath, and uh, we find her being <coughs> forgiven. Uh, people who, there was another person who stabbed, or in uh, some, you know, narrations, he threw Prophet's daughter, who was pregnant at the time, uh, off her camel, and eventually she passed away because of the injury. That person was forgiven, and so on and so forth. And, you know, especially at the time of the, you know, when the Mecca was, was conquered by Prophet Muhammad, uh, as soon as he entered, all the offenders knew that they cannot be uh, forgiven because of the uh, enormity of uh, offenses that they had. <coughs> they had. Some of them were so sure that they actually migrated to other parts. And, you know, Ikrama, for example, he, he prepared to leave and his wife said that the Holy Prophet is forgiving anyone and everyone who comes to him. Uh, you should ask him for forgiveness, he'll forgive you. Ikrama was forgiven, Ikrama bin Abu Jahl, uh, son of the, one of the very um, you know, chief enemies of the Prophet. Similarly, right after the, right before the uh, you know, conquering of Mecca, there was a group of about 40 to 50 uh, Quraysh men who were sent to surround the Prophet's camp and to harm him or at the least to capture a companion and bring him back to Mecca. And this was before the conquering of Mecca, like I said. Um, they were all cap- you know, captured, and they were brought to Prophet Muhammad, and Prophet Muhammad forgave them um, you know, out of his sheer mercy and love. Uh, same thing with you know, when he entered Mecca. People thought that they were doomed, but he announced that, today I'll treat you like uh, Joseph treated his brothers, and you're all free today. And you have no account on, on, you know, you know, no no offense in my sight, and you're free. Um, and they were not forced to convert to Islam. They were, you know, many of them remained pagans, and um, that's how they chose to be. Uh, but they were forgiven, you know. Uh, right after the conquering of Mecca, there's another 
battle, which is known as the Battle of Hunain. Hunain is a place, uh, uh, you know, hundreds of miles west of Mecca. That's where the surrounding tribes, when they perceive that Mecca has been conquered by Muslims, they uh, they united and they, uh, you know they uh, aimed to attack Mecca, and that's how Prophet got his men to defend. Uh, you know, his territory or his city uh, against this, you know, Banu Kasif and so many other uh, different tribes. And they were huge in numbers. And in that, Muslims uh, suffered a huge casualty. Uh, but eventually, Muslims were able to overcome them. And this, the captives, there were, in some narration, it is as many as 6,000. Ibn Ishaq, for example, is one of the very first biographies ever written. 6,000 captives. And back in the days, um, you know, to take care of the captives, there was no centralized system, there was not enough uh, wealth, so um, they would be divided amongst, uh, you know, amongst people to be taken care of. Uh, but even those 6,000 people, when uh, their leaders or their chiefs sent message and they pleaded for mercy and forgiveness, all of them, historically speaking, they were released and forgiven, um, and they were given back and they were let to go, and they were set free. Thousands of uh, other captives like that, they, they were set free. So this was uh, forgiveness of uh, of Prophet Muhammad that we see over and over again. Like I said, Hatim bin Tai, um, uh, uh, Hatim was, he was a very generous Arab person, but by the time, you know, Muslims, uh, you know, were able to uh, spread their message, he had passed away, but his son, Adi bin Tai, he was a Christian. And he said that I don't think anybody hated Prophet Muhammad, God forbid, more than I did. And he, you know, he fled to Syria and then he got a message that Prophet is the most forgiving because his sister had a first-hand experience. And he went back and, uh, you know, he was, he was expecting to see a king and with all the benefits. But he, he, in his uh, narration, he says that when I went here, Prophet Muhammad, I saw him on the street. He grabbed me by the hand. He said, Adi, come with me. And he was taking me to his house and on the street. An old woman just stopped Prophet Muhammad and started talking to him and complaining to him and asking him for certain things. And Prophet Muhammad kept on listening to him. And he said, Adi says that I said in my heart, this man cannot be a king. He's something different. Then when he comes home, uh, he sees the way Adi was treated. Um, you know, he was given the, they used to have, uh, leather cushions were filled with, you know, dried date leaves. So Adi says that Holy Prophet, peace upon him, gave that to me to, for me to sit on it. And I, I said that, uh, you know, it, it, for you and you should, he said, Prophet Muhammad insisted that he should sit on it. And that was a symbol of respect for a guest. And uh, Adi says that Prophet Muhammad himself sat on the ground. He sat on the ground for him. So, so you know, things like that, these were things that actually changed people's hearts. And being in power, um, you know, forgiving them, uh, you know, forgiving the enemy after you have overcome them. That was the characteristics of the Holy Prophet and Islam, and that's something that conquered the hearts of the people. So these are very beautiful examples, and thank you for sharing them for us. And for those of our listeners who have, you know, no idea of the early life of Islam, they can get a glimpse of how beautiful the time it really was. But I feel like for many people, their understanding of Islam is the understanding that Islam is a religion that has utilized a lot of wars, has gone into many battles, 
um, and has you know won a lot of these wars. So, what is the, our response to that? What would be your response to those people that say, "How can Islam have ideas of forgiveness when in early Islam there are many examples of different types of battles that the early companions engaged in?" So there were uh, two parts to the life of Prophet Muhammad, and they were they are marked or divided uh, by a word called hijra or migration. <clears throat> and um, and that's uh, his ministry or his uh, mission before the Hijra, before the migration, <clears throat> is when he was in Mecca, uh, where a whole society was set up. And, uh, you know, he was preaching his message. Even though he was oppressed, we find that Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, always uh, taught patience. And he told his followers to leave the place. Uh, by, towards, um, you know, the... Tenth year of his ministry, while he was still in Mecca, he did have Holy Prophet peace be upon him did have uh, many influential Muslims, and he could have uh, retaliated against um, you know the chief. It was very easy for him, but we believe that that was not the intent of Islam ever. And the intent of Islam is very simple: is that just to have a connection with God the Almighty to preach equality and freedom for all human souls. So that was his message. And because of that, whenever he was persecuted, he urged his followers to migrate or to show patience. Um, until so much so when his own life was in jeopardy, he still decided to migrate. He did not take on. So creating disorder is the worst um, thing that a person can do. It's worse than killing, Holy Quran says. So that's, uh, you know, when Holy Prophet migrated to another place, where majority of the civilians had accepted Islam, or they accepted Islam after his migration, that was yesterday was a town, and uh, that town uh, consisted of three uh, societies: a Jewish society, a pagan society, and now the Muslim society. Now, when Prophet Muhammad moved there, because the majority was Muslim, and Jews also found in their political interest to have a peace treaty with them, so I. Uh, you know, it's, you know, the Treaty of uh, Medina, you know, it was signed. It was it's a written document that still exists, where Jews, um, you know, the pagans and the Muslims, they all made Holy Prophet as head of a state. And this is when Islam enters a political, in a political leadership. It is, in a way, you can say, almost forced into being a, a political, um, you know, entity. And from here onwards, there were threats. Uh, that were coming from Meccans who were after the life of the Prophet, um, you know, to to take his life and to take the lives of all the Muslims and to extinguish the you know the light of Islam from the face of the earth um, and to defend that light. The verse was revealed or the permission was given to Muslims to defend themselves. So the very first verse that was revealed, God says that permission has been given so that the churches. Uh, and the synagogues and the mosques and the worship places could be saved from the destruction from these opponents of people who are against any religion or freedom of religion. <clears throat> so that was the basis on which Holy Prophet took arms for self-defense. And the uh, and that was, you know, eventually um, it led to a number of series of battles, uh, you know, against Meccans and the Quraysh, um, and eventually the Mecca was conquered. But then the question is, why did Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, had to, um, 
had to expand his territory, right? So for that, one has to know um, that uh, in those days, tribes or nations, they would collide with each other or they would, uh, you know, get together and uh, take over, you know, um, the weaker uh, entity. So because of that, it was politically important and necessary to expand. And expansion in in any political system, you would say, historically speaking, is never looked down upon. Uh, you know, people, you know, the, the dominions or the, you know, the emperors, they had to, they had to expand for various reasons, for resources, um, for welfare, and for, for most, until most recently, British and so many other Western nations had been expanding their territory all the way to Americas, as you know it. So, so that, that was the reason why, uh, you know, um, Prophet, peace upon him, had to expand, because if he had not done that, he would have been overcome by the more powerful empires. Uh, like the the Roman Empire, you know the the um, the Roman or the Persian empires, the Byzantines or the other ones, just like what happened to the Jewish, uh, you know, uh, nation. Uh, you know, if you know the Judea uh, nation, they, you know, were overcome by the you know Babylonians or um, by different other uh, states because they were not able to sustain their um, their defense mechanism. So that's why there were many other reasons why a holy prophet had to expand. I think what's interesting here is that Islam is really a holistic religion. It provides um, ideas of how it's important to have forgiveness, but also ideas of how it's important to understand punishment. And for that, it makes it a balanced religion. Islam sees itself as a type of manual for society, a solution for how people should live their lives in a way to obtain harmony, but um, also realize of just the difficulties of life. And so I think it's it's that that makes Islam really beautiful um, and really unique in a certain sense, just the completeness and the wholeness. And this is really seen in the Holy Quran as it gives injunctions in so many different areas and, um, you know, forgiveness being an important aspect of them. So, you know, in a couple of minutes left, uh, Missionary Stop, what would be your lesson to the listeners to take away with in terms of the importance of forgiveness in Islam? Um, my message uh, would be that, uh, you know, Islam is a religion um, that gives you an opportunity to not only um, see the existence of God, but also gives you an opportunity to practice the attributes of Allah the Almighty, of God the Almighty. And his most prevailing or most uh, highlighted attribute is Ar-Rahman. And Ar-Rahman is, um, is a being that uh, shows mercy and, and compassion to all his creation alike regardless of their faith in God, regardless of their race, regardless of their, uh, you know, economic, uh, you know, status, uh, he shows mercy. And regardless whether they're human or not. So that that is a kind of, um, you know, person that Islam expects us to be, to show compassion uh, and kindness to all creatures alike, all around us. And the standard that Holy, you know, speaking of absolute justice, the standard that Holy uh, Quran sets is, uh, you know, it says that God 
orders you to uh, to enjoin goodness and forbid evil and also to treat others with ihsan with you know with ihsan is a word that and the third one is and they also treat them like ita'i zil qurba that as if they are your blood relatives as they are your kin and kith so you know um the the secret that the fourth caliphate the caliph of uh, amadiyya muslim community uh mentions is that um adl is one ita is al qurba adl is one and that adl is to show justice um if i borrow 10 dollars from osama i expect him to give it back to me that's adl now the second stage is then this is the lowest stage of islamic you know you know values the second stage is ihsan that we should be expected as a good muslim to treat others with ihsan and ihsan is that osama if you have my 10 dollars if you give me 12 dollars that's your ihsan on me that you're doing something more out of your own willing that's what islam and then the third level the actual um, which is a really beautiful meaning and that is ita'i qurba that we should treat other human beings people around us as a mother treats her child or as we treat our blood relatives someone with whom we have emotional attachment with uh when a parent raises a child he does not have anything at the back of his head uh, to gain from that child it's just pure love that compels him to do so much for the child so just like that islam um, teaches that one should show that kind of love that a mother has for her child without any you know um, any background or any you know desire or hidden um you know desire or greed um <clears throat> that you just show love and kindness to the other human being so that is the kind of level that islam expects us to behave or to um you know show towards other human beings and that is what i i think in reality the word rahman is as well that he is compassionate he is merciful and allah says many times wa rahmati wasiat kull shay that my my mercy overtakes everything else in the universe so that is a message i think whether you the audience agrees with us as muslims or not whether you believe in god or not just just a simple message is that just look at all other human beings whether you know regardless of their background their race their you know culture uh, that they are human beings they are creatures and they deserve our compassion genuinely just like we would show it to our own children Very well said Imam Saab. We uh certainly have a lot to to marinate on as as always per usual. Um but I I I definitely Imam Saab thank you for coming on the show and sharing this uh, imparting this wisdom on us and uh hopefully, you know, uh, Osama myself and the dear listeners listening at home um can embody some of these these words of wisdom and um you know, walk a little more lightly and forgive a little more heavily. So thank you Imam Saab for joining us and I uh, wish you peace on this Saturday. Oh, thank you very much, Osama. It's so nice to be here. So, Osama, any final thoughts? I know we have a few seconds left. I think this is just an important topic to remember, especially in these difficult times. That it's important to forgive each other and love each other, and we hope that we get another chance to have more moments with you on this radio show. So, join us next week at 2 p.m. We're listening to the Voice of Islam radio show. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Allah. <laughs> Allah
KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.